0: You're listening to the best of the Tom Bernard Show.com brought to you by Bradshaw and Bryant.
1: Who, me? me? <laughs> well,
2: That's I'd like to really know if season. I was married to a whore oh, piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you can just look at her license. My it's special stripe. That looks uh, amazing. Oh there. my gosh. <laughs>
3: Coming by sweet, Current potatoes, onions,
1: everybody to another episode of the best of the tom bernard podcast brought to you by brad shaw and bryant kicking off the show this week we had jason Arrington calling in talking about how you can sometimes find gold just sitting in a field and his new show iron resurrection next
0: Ladies and gentlemen, Jason Arrington, Shag with us, Iron Resurrection. How are you?
6: I'm great, man. Thanks for having me on, guys.
0: Why do you get the good name like Shag?
6: Well, I mean, I didn't pick it. I think some of the best nicknames are given. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. So I got this nickname in eighth grade.
0: Oh, you got the nickname Shag in 8th grade, so do you mind? Well, it says here, known as the deal finder and haggler or shaggler. Hello. I like it. So Shag comes you know, from I That actually Shag. came along. Like uh,
6: that just came along by, I think, you know, the, the, nerd, the, the, the word similarity. But uh, in 8th grade, I was a skinny ginger and looked like Shaggy from Scooby-Doo. And oh. some of my classmates <laughs> called me out on that, and it stuck. All
2: right. I, I got a good. I, like fr- I got a good friend named Woody, and I asked him how he got the nickname. Uh, apparently, he spent most of ninth grade with a boner, and his oh. high school oh. friends <laughs> gave him the name, and it stuck. He's now oh. fifty-five oh, years old. <laughs> still,
0: still, okay. still, every day.
2: Yeah. Okay, then.
0: <laughs> Poor guy. Still yeah, really. every day, not a problem. Uh, in any case. Shag's also featured on Iron Resurrection Refueled, where the cast tells off-camera stories from Season 2. Uh, in Season 4 now, as a matter of fact, Iron Resurrection. Uh, Shag, let me introduce you to Doug Sprinthal. Just Dougie, you'll be fine. Doug's whole life is cars, so this ought to be... I'm looking forward to this conversation.
2: Yeah, yeah. I work for a large uh, car dealer group. Uh, I've done all different kinds of stuff. We sell about 40,000 cars a year, but I've also always been a fan. I used to build my own stuff when I was a kid because I wanted to drive cool stuff and I didn't have any money. I'm a fan of the show, and it's, uh, it's kind of cool to chat. I, I, got, I do have a couple of questions, if you don't mind. Oh,
6: so, man, I, I absolutely, please.
2: So for the listeners that don't know, w- what these guys do is they, they find these kind of cool, unique, unusual, mostly American cars, uh, and then they'll bring them back to the shop, and some of them are in you know, terrible states of disrepair, and then they'll, they'll, they'll bring them back to life. Uh, and it's and it's a, it's a business, um, but my question is: I, I would assume that now you must have people calling you all the time with barn finds and stuff like that. Is that true?
6: That, that's really one of the coolest things. Is you know we do have quite a few customers. The show get, has given us exposure, and so you know the waiting list for builds right now is pretty long. Uh, but to your to your question, we do get these calls now where they're fans and they will let us know about these uh, yards or collections where someone may have passed or inherited mm. a collection and we get first right of refusal and it's a, it's a blast. It's a lot of fun to get out there and really know that we're the first people to walk these yards.
2: Yeah. Uh, so basically the show has managed you to not have to work very hard anymore. But my, my next question is when you guys were just starting and nobody knew who you were, how did you find stuff? Cause there's a Cause lot the
6: word of, of people mouth, that are friends.
2: always, I'm sorry, go ahead.
6: Oh, I was to say, you know, it's the word of mouth and the friends, and you're just reaching out the contacts. Uh, you know, it, I think it's always been that way, and then the internet and everything just kind of helped hurry that along, uh, especially with social media. Well, i
4: got one example. I wish we had talked to you about, I think, a year ago. So, I think it was 50 or so years ago, uh, out in the uh, Deadwood area, someone drove their car down a cliff, hit a tree, and left it there. And about two years ago, they finally came and took it away. So, that that car oh was sitting God. there for like 50 years just... <laughs> Right into a it's, tree. No one took it. Nope. No, one, it was too hard to get out. They were like, "What? Oh yeah. And why That's even true. bother?" There's all sorts of stuff like that out there. Actually, you drive along, you see farm equipment that has become, you know, like part of the scenery. It's just, it's has it's, it's, it's Got a tree going through it and yeah. lifted off the ground. Oh, yeah, it's so heavy. It's like you know, no one cares enough to go get it. So hey, if you want, if you want to go find a whole bunch of very old stuff that you can restore, the western it South may, Dakota. That may be
6: on. That may be beyond restoration, probably. Yeah, or uh, right. repair.
4: Probably fifty years of rotting. Yeah.
2: So. Yeah, Chag. What? what tell me about your favorite find of all the cars that you stumbled across. What one sticks out in your mind as being? Oh, man, oh my God, this is so cool.
6: That's like asking what my favorite kid is. Which one of my kids? <laughs> is um, there you go. You know, I, I love the unique stuff. It's not always going to be the most popular, but there's a lot of really cool, unique things. That, that pop up. And, I, and, and I'm a big fan of the Cadillac. To me, that was Hollywood. That was luxury. That was glamour. And I've owned a few Cadillacs, and they're just so much fun to drive. So I, I love coming across you know, those big cruisers uh, like that, but really, it's just it's kind of also the, the pursuit, the hunt. Has
2: uh, is, is there ever been one that you really wanted that, that got away from you? That you just couldn't close the deal, and you're just kicking yourself for not buying it?
6: Well, there there was one that we actually built that the customer that I really was hoping something would fall fall through and it would end up in my lap. And that was the uh, the Cadillac from season one, our finale, the 64 convertible. Uh, You know, just watching the guys build it, watching the process and all the work they did, man, it was tough to see that one go.
2: I owned a 68 DeVille Convert years and years ago, and I love that car. I, when I sat and I got divorced, I had to sell it because I moved into the requisite townhouse. It was too long to fit in the garage.
6: <laughs> oh, I bet. Sounds you could moved into
2: right. the, the Caddy. Yeah, it was longer than a Suburban. I think it was about 23 feet. Yeah, that's crazy. Anyway, i I, I, I got a couple more questions for you. I, I saw in your bio that you've been uh, uh, commentating at Barrett Jackson a couple of times.
6: Well, I got asked by Motor Trend last year to, to come out for the uh, Scottsdale auction, and I did a lot of off-the-block spotlights, so I was able to, uh, they, they gave me the opportunity to walk around and check out all the uh, the vehicles, and I, I had like a daily pick, and we did a feature on, on uh, one vehicle a day.
2: Uh, oddly but, enough, my wife loves Barrett-Jackson. When we <coughs> first got together... And I was a full time used car buyer for a number of years. I bought probably 10,000 cars at auctions. Um, but I would always watch it because this is, the, this is the stuff that I really love. And she came down. She goes, what are you doing? And I says, well, I'm watching a live auction. She goes, don't you do that for a living? And I said, yeah, but not these cars. And so she sat yeah, there. Yeah, this one's different. Yeah. And she sat there for four and a half hours. And now every winter we'll go down on Saturday and then Sunday and play the game where, you know, guess how much this is going to be. And I can usually get some of that stuff close. But what I've noticed, especially this year, and maybe I have a comment on it. What they call the uh, the Resto-Rod, so they take a classic car, and then they rebuild it to specs that are way beyond what the car ever was when it was new. I mean, twice as much horsepower, you know, super cool body work and all that sort of stuff. Makes, they're really unique vehicles. But, you know, in the past, the originals always seemed to do more money, like a 69 Chevelle or whatever it is, split window. 63 uh, Corvette, but now it seems like the <coughs> resto mods, the really nice ones, are bringing more money than the originals. Do, have you noticed that?
6: Well, and that and that is crazy because normally when you do a resto mod, you're doing it for that customer, like their their specific taste and uh, you know what they want. So you're, those are those are normally considered like a passion project because you're you're, you're taking right. something, you're building it to a, a, a you know, request or a taste, and then it's for that person. So it'll be tough to resell. But I did, I, I did see that. I did see that some of these customs, I guess it's more general customization now as a whole, and those are selling, and people are getting away from doing the full you know, uh, numbers-matching restoration.
2: Yep.
6: But it, it, is, it is fun to sit there and do the guessing game, and it also depends on the time of day because it's after happy hour. Yes, yeah, yeah, right. Saturday it, it,
2: night is not the time to buy a car, Barrett Jackson. No, no, they I can had never a, guess those prices. A, a triple black '66 Continental convertible, and I had it guessed at maybe like 140 grand. It was a nice car. It cracked 300 thousand dollars. Man. <laughs> and yeah. I, I, My wife's like it was was getting getting thick in there. Oh man, it was, you know, and it's and they stall out and they keep and then they kept going and it kept going and kept going and then all of a sudden, you you know, you paid too much at Barrett Jackson when the auctioneer starts clapping. Oh yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like thanks for the vacation. That's right. Yeah. But it seems to me, and I'd I'd get like to get your opinion on this. I think the real bargains are actually on Sunday morning. (laughs) There's a lot. Well, they're
6: also during the week. Okay. Like, leading up to it, like, the daytime and, and, like, during the week, I've seen some really good deals. And, uh, yeah, Sunday morning's good. I think, honestly, I think it's any time before the bars open, you you kind of get some really fair deals. <laughs>
2: it's a pro buying okay. tip from Shag at Barrett-Jackson. If, if you've ever watched it, it's really, it's really a fun thing. It, it, my wife is not a car person, but she's... It's it's fascinating. It's for those of us that bought cars at, at real auto auctions. It's slower than death because they'll spend four or five minutes selling a car. But it's still uh, it's pretty cool.
6: It's, it's Saturday is definitely a fun day to watch. If you've never watched it, tune it you know tune in on Saturdays. It's a lot of it's, it's they give a lot of backstory, a lot of history. There's also a lot of charities. Uh, people donate cars for uh, auction for charities, and it's yeah. I, I always enjoy watching that Saturday afternoon and evening option uh, because of all the great causes and you know the the, the backstories on a lot of those cars.
2: Yeah, the, the serial number one twenty twenty Corvette, which is a big deal car. Uh, uh, Rick Hendricks, who a uh, former race that's car driver right. and owns a whole buttload of auto dealerships, paid three million dollars for it, and the money went to Char- General Motors. Turns that money over to charity, which is re- that's really a cool thing. Yeah,
6: yeah, I think last year or right? maybe it was nineteen or eighteen, a car sold. <clears throat> Charity, and then the guy turned right around and replaced it on, on the auction and then sold it again. and That money went back. It's like it doubled the income towards the charity. It was pretty cool.
2: Nothing like old white guys that get drunk and want to give a lot of money away. That's awesome.
6: <laughs> I can't wait to become one. <laughs> yeah,
2: right. Well, the show's taken off. So tell us about Refueled. So, what are some? I haven't seen any of these episodes. What well, are the so off camera stories?
6: One, yeah, Refueled was a one time thing. The, the show is Iron Resurrection and we are in our fourth season and, and refueled was an opportunity that we had where me joe and amanda and some of the other guys in the shop sat down and told behind the scenes stories based on the episodes from season two so we took seven episodes from season two and just really uh it, it just kind of did a, a behind the scene panel type of thing so that was a one-time deal we haven't we haven't shot any of the refuel since then uh but the, the main show is, is iron resurrection <laughs>
2: And I see in your notes you were also on, uh, you did an episode of Triple D. Is that right?
6: Oh, yeah. Yeah, Diners Drive-Ins and Dives. A a good friend of mine owns a barbecue sandwich spot called Slab, which is an acronym for Slow, Low, and Bangin'. And it's an amazing amazing restaurant. And so he's like, hey, guys coming out, you should come hang out. And uh, I knew on that show if you said something kind of off the wall while they're asking you about the food, You'd probably
2: make the cut. Oh yeah, yeah course, I mean, It's I'd entertaining, ridiculous. right? Ridiculous. Yeah, <laughs>
6: and uh, I made the cut. But, yeah, that was a lot of fun.
2: Did he? Did he have his uh, red Camaro there? Does that travel he with did. him? He did. Okay, good for him. Yeah, absolutely. He uh, the the host of that show drives a particularly nice. It looks like probably about a '68.
6: Yeah, yeah, I was going to say 67-68 convertible. That's a custom color. House of Color actually made that color for him. Oh, wow. So I don't know Fancy. if it's guy for Ferrar- our Red or or what it's actually called, but I do know that that is a one-off color made by House of Color, which is kind of cool.
2: Thank God they didn't paint the car like spiked blonde.
6: Oh, God. <laughs> Weird <laughs> yellowish. <I agree>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You'd have to keep repainting it. <laughs>
2: yeah. So is is your is your shop in uh, Austin?
6: The shop is actually on the outskirts in the Hill Country. It's more of a destination in the Hill Country, okay? And that's that's by design because it's beautiful out there. It's about twenty five miles west on Highway two ninety, and it's it's a really nice drive, uh, tucked into the hills. Uh, and, and it's a great area to go drive your car or motorcycle. And then that's why Joe and Mandy picked that location because they wanted to be. A destination, not just kind of mixed into an industrial
2: complex. I got it. Yeah, I went to Austin for work a couple of years ago. I'd never been there before. I was, I'm like, this is Texas. <laughs> it was like San. Like, I don't know
6: if that's a compliment or not, but thanks. No, no, it was cool. <laughs> I, you know,
2: I tend to there be a little go. liberal, and I'm like, man, they're just this. Is, I, this is not what I expected at all. And my own, you know,
6: other... it's, it, I, I, we get that a lot. I get that a lot growing up, and people find it from Texas. I'm a huge hockey fan. I always have been, and in Fort Worth, where I was born and raised, we always had minor league teams, and I remember going to the games, and then when, I, as I got older, I realized, like, I guess if you're from Texas, you're not supposed to like hockey, you know, because we're a football state. Right. It always throws people off when, you know, this is pre-Stars days, but it always threw people off when I was like, yeah, I live in Texas, and I love hockey. What? What? No, you don't. You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> okay?
0: You mean Shag when Norm Green stole the Minnesota North Stars and moved them to Dallas? Is that what you're saying? Well,
6: pre, I actually worked in it for a minor league team before that happened. But I remember when that happened, I was very excited. I mean, don't hate us, hate Norm. Yeah, don't take it out on us, hate much.
0: Norm. I got to tell you a very Get quick up. story, Shag. I had lunch with Norm Green about oh a year before he moved the team. Minnesota North Stars bought them. Minnesota North Stars. I had lunch with him. The entire lunch, he had about a two inch hair hanging out of one of his nostrils. It was really hard to eat.
6: (laughs) And you never told him?
0: Nope, I never told him. Nothing was flagging back and forth the entire lunch.
6: Oh, man, I I, I wouldn't be able to pay attention. That's
0: like a party favor (laughs) hanging off his face. It is a party favor. You're absolutely right. (laughs) That's amazing. You are correct. Ladies and gentlemen, Iron Resurrection shows every Wednesday evening on Motor Trend Network. Jason Arrington, known as Shag, of course, in its fourth season, Iron Resurrection. Boy, it was great listening to you guys talking about cars because you both know a lot about them. And that's, uh, that's always a good conversation to listen to. People who know what the hell they're talking about. That's terrific.
2: We, I could have gone okay, on guys. and on. I've got 50,000 questions lined up. So. <laughs> well,
6: well, we to talk offline if online you'd
0: like. <laughs> Well, come back and do the show again. That'd be great, Chase. I'd love to and have I, you. Back. I'd love to. It's been a lot of fun. All right, young man. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Have a good day. Bye. Bye. Jason Errington, Shag, ladies and gentlemen, from Iron Resurrection. We'll be right back with the family. Best of the Tom Bernard podcast. My Pappy said, Son, you're gonna drive me to drinking if you don't stop driving that hot rod Lincoln.
3: You heard this story?
1: That was Jason Arrington on The Best Of. Coming up next, we had Aaron Kerman on the program, talking about his show, Listing Impossible, selling giant, giant, giant houses. Next!
4: Just won't stall. With a four-barrel car, and a dueling sauce, with 411 gears, you can really get lost. Got safety tubes, but I ain't scared. The brakes are good. The tire's fair.
0: We can ask Aaron. Aaron would know. Aaron Kerman, ladies and gentlemen, listing impossible. Kerman and his team tell stubborn multi-million dollar mansion owners what most other agents won't. They will tell them the truth. He'll do whatever it takes to get their challenging property sold. But first, he must convince them to let go of their pride, recognize their mistakes, and follow his plan. I couldn't agree more, Mr. Kerman. How are you? You damn right, Tom. (laughs) I know what you're saying. (laughs) Can Aaron not hear me? <laughs> he should be able to. Uh, I guess
5: just, we, just, we just were able to hear you. We were having some challenges, but we're on now.
0: Oh, well, it's good. You're at the right place because I have challenges every day, Aaron.
5: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <well, laughs> welcome <laughs> to my life. Welcome to my life.
0: <laughs> I'm right there with it. No, we were just talking about...
5: seems like uh, the better actually, we do, the more challenges we get every day
0: i understand that completely it's uh it's kind of interesting that the, the what we're talking about listing impossible cnbc original series listing impossible uh, there are three episodes left this season as a matter of fact aaron kerman and his team tell stubborn multi-million dollar mansion owners what most other agents won't they tell them the truth that's got to be hard aaron to tell tell, the, tell those guys the truth
5: you know it's, it's surprisingly busy. we uh, we we really love to do it uh and it's part of who we are. Uh, we, we diagnose problems and uh, we don't sugarcoat it. Uh, but what's really interesting is the reactions that, that they give us.
0: I would imagine that's true. Now, I do have to ask you a question about this because we're talking about houses that have massive uh, property, tax, uh, property taxes on them. Since the whole SALT tax thing went away with the, and again, I'm not going after the Republicans or Democrats or Trump or Bloomberg or anybody, I'm just asking. Since you cannot write off your property taxes on, off your federal return now, did that crush those homes or at least do a lot of damage to them? You
5: know, I was very nervous about it at first, but, but to be okay. clear, we really, we really haven't felt much of a difference. Um, really? You know, it seems the rich are still getting richer, and, uh, you know, I specialize in selling uh, in California, and, uh, you know, people still want to be here, and it seems as though they're willing to take, take the tax hit.
0: You know, I'll say this very quickly, it's off-topic, but, you know, uh, you sit around and you watch television, and then 10 years goes by, and all of a sudden, everybody's worth $60 billion. Aaron, how the hell did that happen? (laughs) Man.
5: I I ask myself that every single day. Uh, You know, I grew up from uh, a very modest family myself, and um, I look at the numbers across my desk uh, on a daily basis with people buying all cash, and... It's unbelievable how much money is out there. Uh, and it's oh. not just the, you know, 50, 60, 80 million dollar houses I sell or five or six. Sometimes, we, you know, we see that the 500 and 800 and people are just paying cash for these properties.
0: Really? So, yeah, it's, it's,
5: it's, it's yeah, shocking. Um, it's shocking. I mean, there's just so much money out there. Uh, and I always wonder how everyone, I mean, how everyone make it, cause how everyone got to that point, because right. not everyone, but, you know, obviously specific people, but, you know, it's tough out there, and it's, it's not easy to make a dollar, uh, and so uh, it, it's quite fascinating. But what I've noticed is the people that have made it, and the people that do have that kind of money, are very, very frugal with their money, and, and really oh, do yeah. to watch every penny. And that's mm-hmm. why my job uh, oftentimes is so hard. And so when people watch our show, they see the reaction of people pretty much not wanting to spend money to sell a house. And and sometimes you know money money does not buy good taste. And sometimes a lot of <laughs> people have made very bad decisions in their real estate purchase.
0: Right. I can understand that. Now, La Nick uh, has, a, has a. You have that question about the most expensive home ever sold.
7: Yeah, so I I just saw something recently. It was one of the most expensive in in California. And I also wanted to say this I know a lot of I spent a lot of time in Calvary, lived Living Los Angeles for a long time and I have a lot of friends who rent their homes because they get so much money it's like 30000 a month for a, for a month really for a nice house up in, oh. in Mahon so they rent them out and they rent apartments because they're making crazy money a month just renting their house but I did notice almost every single person that I know who's renting their home the people that rent them are not from are not Americans Mm. They're
5: mostly- yeah, you know, we, we, we do a lot of business on, on high-end rentals. Uh, and it's not uncommon for us to get anywhere between 30000 a month, and it could go up to, no joke, are you sitting down, 500000 a month oh, on these ridiculous. rental properties, depending on the price point of the house. Uh, and it's a very, very, very lucrative way to make money. Yep. Um, last year, uh, we had four sales above $100 million dollars. And this year, we've already had two sales above $100 million. So it's just supposed to show you the level of wealth and the investment that these these billionaires are buying is, 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 is absolutely staggering.
7: But I I did notice the people that I know who rent their homes, almost every single person who rent them were either from like Abu Dhabi, Saudi Arabia. Very few Americans renting these big properties. The Middle East has a lot of It was mostly people from the Middle East, especially in the Beverly Hills area and the Hollywood Hills area.
5: Oh, absolutely. Uh, The rentals become double and triple. And the majority of those people renting those homes are from the Middle East uh, Saudi, Qatar, um, Kuwait. Uh, and they come in and they're just willing to spend astronomical <clears throat> amount of money uh, for these for these luxury rentals. And there's a lot
7: of them. No, there's a lot of them. There's, there's Tom. There's so many. There's, there's. Believe it or not, there's, there's so much money in California, especially in Hollywood Hills. People have like Mitzi Shore, Polly's mom. She owned 11 houses in the Hollywood Hills. They nobody even went to them. One time she said, "Hey, you can go live in one of my houses up there." I go up there. There's a family living in it. <laughs>
5: I come back and oh I tell her,
7: there's so, "They just, they just. There was nobody there for so long. They just moved in."
5: Wow! Wow! And by the way, that's a, that's that's one of the really big liabilities of these rentals that we have, too, because, you know, there are hoarder situations. And believe it or not, once somebody is in a house, it is hard to get them out. It's not as easy as just calling the police.
7: No, I, I, I went through it firsthand. I actually rented a house in Hollywood, and it was an ad on Craigslist, and I went and paid... Went and met the people. It was a dress, dressed, well dressed couple. They let me in, and beautiful craftsman home. And they wanted at the time. This was just 20 years ago. They wanted $2,800 a month, first, last, and security. So I paid it, signed the lease, moved in, and two days after I moved in, there's a knock on my door. I look out. It's two sheriffs and a guy. And I open the door. I'm like, "Can I help you?" And the guy's like, "Yeah. What are you doing in my house?" <laughs> Because the people who rented it to me... That that,
5: that happens all the time. Um, We we just had a very similar situation where somebody was living in a $10 million house, and it took them one year to evict, basically, a squatter.
2: Yeah.
8: Was it furnished? (laughs) So the the sheriff (laughs) told the guy... It was
5: was furnished. (laughs) There you go, good. Uh, So basically, the person was living the, the life of luxury for a year, but... Ultimately, we were able to get them out, and the uh, story ended well.
7: Yeah, my, mine mine did well work. too. I made a deal with the, with the homeowner for me to keep renting it because I got I got screwed too. I mean,
0: yeah, do you rent money?
5: Yeah, Absolutely. it happens. Well, a lot of people, you know, take out these ads. Exactly what happened on properties that are not theirs. Scan them and uh, continued. I mean, we deal with a lot of things like not only that, just on rentals, but. Recently, we've been dealing with a lot of like scam purchases where people will literally hack into email addresses oh, and when God. it comes to closing a yeah. property, uh, give bank, bank accounts and, and people will send their closing costs to random people all over the world. And it's, it, it's been a really so, big problem for our business.
0: Uh, that's terrible. Aaron Kerman with us, ladies and mm-hmm. gentlemen, Listing Impossible. Now, Aaron, who wrote your bio for you? Because i got a line that I want to read you. Do, you. do you know who wrote your bio?
5: Um. You know, I, it came from me, but it was probably rewritten. What, what, what's the line? I'm curious.
0: Okay, you, you ready? You ready, Aaron? I am. Listing, impo- Listing Impossible starring superstar real estate agent Aaron Kerman. What do you think of that, Aaron? Okay, I definitely
5: did not write that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm assuming that that came from, CN- I'm assuming that came from CNBC. Uh, and... Uh, I, I think it's it's, 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 it's funny it. to hear, but you know, I'm just a regular guy that sells these multi-million dollar homes and happens to be caught on camera while we do it.
0: No, Aaron, I got to tell you, you said you you grew up a pretty, uh, uh, like lower middle class, something like that. Is that right?
5: Yeah, my dad. So my dad was uh, in the trucking business. My mom was a teacher. Um, I definitely didn't so grow up in the class. world that I uh, that I live now. Um, do you remember but, the? You know, I really have to work yeah. for every dollar and. Um, and, 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 you know, it was a struggle. Um, growing up, I had learning disabilities. Uh, I, I had believe it or not. Oh, okay. I couldn't speak very well. I had a bad speech impediment. Uh, and so, you know, to be named one of the top sales guys in L.A. Uh, or in the world, really, um, it's quite an honor for me and something that I, uh, I'm very proud of. Um, and what I, love I like the most that... about the show is now I get to show people, you know, not only what we do, but... You know, it, you know it, it, it's entertaining watching rich people being told all the things they've done wrong and how to fix things, but really, you know, the show's <laughs> yeah. an education, and we're all about showing people how to not lose in real estate and hopefully to win.
0: Yeah, I, uh, basically, probably, I, I grew up, you know... Low, not even lower middle class, just kind of lower class, and I, I, the reason I asked you that question is, I remember the very first time I walked into a house that was worth more than $20 million, I thought, oh my god, <laughs> I didn't, I had <laughs> no clue that people actually lived like that.
5: You, you know, I used to break into, uh, this sounds horrible, I shouldn't admit this, but Uh-oh. when I was like seven Uh-oh. years old, I used to ride my bike, and if I saw... And I would go to the very wealthy neighborhood, and if I saw, like, an empty house that I thought was vacant, I would literally go in at 7 and imagine myself, I think I imagined myself living there. And, mm-hmm. and I know that sounds really bizarre, but it was, I think, one of the ways that I got to where I am today, because I, it, it was something that, I, even though it was far away from me, it felt very close to me, because I just kept making it mm-hmm. close. And I remember, I, 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 a couple times, I even made my parents' pretend to look like they were buying these homes because I just wanted to see them and feel them and see what
0: they were all about I love the fact that you're so honest about that because we we've had a discussion about this lately uh, about guys like you and guys like me and nothing special about us except for the fact that, that is what this that's what America's all about Aaron Kerman became this you know as it says here superstar real estate agent Uh, You know, I ended up uh, having a nice career and meeting a bunch. You know, that's what, to me, America's all about, that Aaron Kerman can go from, uh, you know, the teacher and then trucker, mom and dad, which is great. It's a great way to live. Nothing against that. But to to telling multi, multi multi-millionaires and billionaires, you're doing that wrong. That's America to me, you know? Yes, by the way,
5: it's it's something that I, I think we should all be so grateful for. Um, Because while we have our problems, Um, America is just such a great place to be able to succeed, in my opinion. And, you know, if I I always, I mean, I know this sounds weird, but I feel like if I can do it, anybody can do it. And so I I, I love that that's where we are. And and what's even more interesting is a lot of my clients that are billionaires, far richer than I ever will be. If you hear their stories, their stories are equally as interesting. And a lot of them started... You know, from literally nothing and and grew these multi-billion dollar businesses and became who they are. And it's just, it's really interesting to be able to see and watch.
0: It is. It is a lot of fun to watch. I think people living vicariously through you, watching Listing Impossible again on Wednesdays at 9 o'clock Central Time, uh, 10 o'clock Eastern Time, of course. Three episodes left this season of Listing Impossible with Aaron Kerman. I think people are living vicariously in these houses as you show them these things they picture themselves telling a billionaire you did this wrong right
5: yeah well i think it's a little bit of a a aspiration because you know our show is a gateway into these luxury houses that a lot of people cannot get into so it Mm -hmm. starts with what i call house porn you know it gives that it, it's that sensation of that house porn <clears> moment. <throat> and then when you add on, uh, you know, a combination of rich people being told what they don't probably want to hear. And then on top of it, you know, we have takeaways. Um, ho- hopefully the, the mix uh, has been really, well, it has been really well received. And it's, it's been so fun. And I've gotten so many comments from so many people that are just really grateful for being able to, you know, watch what other people's mistakes are so that they don't make those same mistakes.
0: Mm-hmm. No, that makes complete sense to me. I think it's, I think it's a terrific. Time. How much time do we have left with you, Aaron? I don't want to, I don't want to hold you up, but I have
5: uh, I, uh, a couple I, more I, I, um, uh, You tell me.
0: Okay, how are we doing, Andy? On time? Uh, we are two minutes over. Oh, we are. Uh, Would well, you mind if we take uh, a very? I just
8: got a text saying we need to move on. With oh, Larry. we do now. Yeah, they just.
0: <laughs> there you go, Aaron. Thank you so. much. I need to have you back, though. I want to talk to you more about this. You're great guest. Thank you.
5: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Aaron Kerman, ladies and gentlemen, K-I-R-M-A-N, Listing Impossible, is on Wednesdays on CNBC. Three episodes left this season. Best of the Tom Bernard Podcast.
1: That was Aaron Kerman on the Best of. Coming up next, closing out the show... We're opening up the oh, oh, All the way back to episode number 516 with Christo Doyle, the the, the inventor, the creator of Gold Rush. We're talking about real gold now. Next In the of gets a plate for work. Mother has to own his shirt. Then she sends the kids to
0: Sorry about that. Christo. Yes, how are you? I'm sorry. My phone started, I thought my ringer was off, but it was not, and I got no clue what I'm doing, Christo. Let's be honest.
3: Don't worry me neither.
0: Christo <laughs> Doyle is the series executive producer and on-air host of the pre-show called The Dirt, which pulls in big numbers, by the way. Christo gives an inside look uh, to the, on the Discovery. I love the Discovery Channel, by the way, Christo. I, everybody does. Everybody loves Discovery, don't I they? I do. Yeah. good to hear. Very, very good to hear. Discovery Channel's number one rated show Gold Rush and The Dirt The Dirt uh, yeah I mean Gold Rush just those two words together everybody gets excited doesn't matter what you're talking about even I mean that, this thing that go, that's going on in North Dakota right now with the oil some people still refer to that as Gold Rush anyway even though it's oil uh, those two words put together for the last what 150 years in America That's a. those are big buzzwords right there Absolutely. They sure are. So tell me about, you want to talk about the dirt first or Gold Rush?
3: Well, you know, I mean, let's talk about Gold Rush. All right. You know, because I think uh, the the dirt kind of happened by mistake. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Uh, I was kind of thrust into something that I never thought I would be thrust into. But you're right. Gold Rush um, has kind of been a a phenomenon for us. Um, It is the number one show on our channel. We are going into a very exciting season five um, on October 17th at 9 p.m. And um, I'm really excited about it. We've got some incredible stuff that happens this year, um, a lot of twists and, twist and turns, and uh, the most gold we've ever had this, uh, this season, which I can't often say that.
0: I should mention, by the way, it's 8 o'clock Central Time because we're in the Central Time. Exactly, Time. exactly. So uh, the dirt's on at 7 o'clock Central, and Gold Rush is on at 8 o'clock Central Time yep, yep. on the Discovery Channel.
3: You said more gold than ever? Yeah, more gold this season than ever, which is uh, you know, something I worry about every year. Um, I think the viewer obviously likes to see what we call the, what we call the gold cleanups when these guys weigh their gold. Um, we see a spike in ratings when these guys do those. Um, and we have more of those this season than ever. And, um, um, you know, I'm not going to give away who no. weighs who, who what, but um, we get more than we've ever gotten, which is uh, truly exciting. And I think it will uh, rope in a lot more viewers.
0: Now, do most people think, you know, the Klondike or, or wherever, do, do most people think that the gold rush is over and there's just no more gold out there?
3: Uh, the average viewer, do they, or do
0: they think that
1: way?
3: yeah absolutely i mean up in this area where they're mining is outside dawson city where the the um the gold rush that we all think about uh happened it was 1896 to 1899 um and that's where a lot of you know that's where bonanza creek was um that's where um you know the 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 three-year rush really happened Mm and you know they they basically had written very primitive tools, yeah. um, and they pulled stuff out with shovels, and you know a lot of surface gold. Um, but there there's a lot of gold. Um, this this type of miner called this type of mine is called placer mining, and it's um, you know down at bedrock. So, you know you got you need heavy machinery to get down to bedrock uh, to be able to get it. So there's still a ton of gold up there
0: you know what is i know i understand that gold is a metal it's a precious metal no question but why does it form in only certain places
8: yeah what's you know, up with gold
3: <laughs> <laughs> what's up with gold chris you know i i think this show has worked for us for a lot of reasons right it's it kind of ticks all the boxes we got great characters we got great story and we have some treasure hunt um and, and and the and gold is a treasure hunt, you know. It's it's yeah. there's 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 uh, history to it. There's mystery to it. Um, you know they they drill holes. So a lot of what they're doing is drilling and looking for um, the best gold per yardage. That's how they do it. Um, and you know they they punch holes in the ground down to bedrock, pull up test samples, and whichever. Uh, had the best de- uh, test samples, they'll they'll follow a gold streak, and they have basically gold streak, which are you know ancient rivers that moved gold down the rivers, and those uh, rivers dried up you know eons ago, and that's where they're they'll they'll go hunt the gold down. How, right.
8: how deep do they have to go to find?
3: Uh, everywhere's different, okay. you know, and I think you know I'm you know I live in the city. I grew up in the city. Um, and they let me know that every time I see them. But, <laughs> you know, they they um, uh, these guys will... What's interesting is there's permafrost in a lot of these places, Ooh. and permafrost is a real pain in the butt for those guys. So to break through permafrost, they have to be on really valuable land. So, you know, they put a ripper on their dozer, and they rip the permafrost. A lot of times they have to let... The sun, the Klondike sun, which you can imagine, isn't out a whole uh, hell of a amount of time. Not right. But, you know, then thaw that permafrost. But most of the time, they're looking for thawed ground. They're looking for ground that's that's not frozen and isn't that deep to uh, down to the, the um, what we call the pay gravels, which is sitting right above right above um, bedrock. And once they get there, they're at the pay dirt. And when they're at pay dirt, that's what they run through their wash plants. Okay.
0: Now, Cristo, back in the day, the big gold—what rush, what were the years of the that three-year run of that gold rush? Uh,
3: 1896 to 1899 is when. Okay. It really happened around 1899. People started pulling out of there.
0: And which? What was the like for a big, uh, a big money-making run in that three-year period? How much money are we talking back in you know 1899?
3: You know. Uh, a, a very few amount of people made millions of dollars. That's what I thought. Yeah, I mean I you know everyone thinks that everyone cleaned up but if if you didn't die you made very little money. Um, and and most left the Klondike um, you know very defeated.
8: We watched a mini series about that.
3: It was called Klondike. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah
8: and it didn't it didn't sugarcoat the whole situation at all I didn't no. think.
3: No, it was miserable. Yeah. It was a miserable experience and it was cutthroat. Um, you know, and these were a lot of desperate people. There's no question.
8: Is it a cutthroat business today?
3: Um, yeah, it is. It really is. I mean, these guys are uh, these are some hardened guys. These are tough guys. Um, you know, and they're they're all they're all vying for land. Um, there's very little virgin ground that's still up there. Um, you know, they, a lot of the ground has been been mined, but if you can get your hands on virgin ground, you know, there's still a ton of gold to be found. So there, there's there's land battles and, you know, a little bit of double crossing and some uh, kind of uh, shady stuff that goes down. But um, for the most part, it's uh, it's gotten pretty civilized. Magnificent. How did
0: you become an executive producer? You said you were a city kid.
3: Well... Honestly, I've kind of earned the reputation as a guy uh, within Discovery that can handle some of our most difficult talent. Um, I worked on American Chopper for a long time. Right. right. Um, I've worked on you know Miami Inc. for a long time. Um, I did some of the Lance Armstrong stuff when he was here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I've just I've just had to deal with some tough guys. Um, so you know, obviously these guys are kind of big, burly guys, and I've learned how to you know that what's necessary is to kind of fight back. Um, and once you do that, you gain their respect, and you're able to have a collaborative relationship with them. So you know, Todd and I battle, and we we battle very publicly on on Twitter and um, and uh, and and in you know on the dirt you know, he'll call me out, I'll call him out and, you know my, my my deal with him has always been you know, let me, you know, he tends to try and be Steven Spielberg and I always say to him, listen, you let me make the show and, you know, you find the gold
0: Yeah, it is interesting to me that some people think they can do it all, They they, they can appear on the show, they can write the show, they can produce the show, they can shoot the show, some people think they can do everything and it's just it's not the case
3: No, I mean, we have... I mean, the TV crew that works for us uh, is Raw TV. And, um, you know, they're hands down the best TV uh, production crew I've ever worked with. Mm -hmm. They tell phenomenal stories. We couldn't make the show without them. You know, gold mining, if you went out to the claim for a day, you would be bored out of your mind. I mean, these guys are moving dirt, you know, in repetitive motions over and over. And, so they do a masterful job of making it interesting um, and building story over, you know, a month, month worth of time. Um, so what they do is craft story. Um, and and we're, we're in a follow, true follow scenario, you know. We're, we're flying the wall. We're chasing these guys. As you can imagine, um, they're gold mining, and they're trying to, to get as much gold as, as, as we can get out of the ground. So they're not going to stop down and, you know, let us do interviews. Um, so it's so it is a real challenge to make, and you know, in this in this day and age where so much of what we see is fabricated reality, you know, the Real Housewives, the yeah. the Storage Wars of the world, and and you know, I think it's, and I think the viewer can snip uh, sniff that stuff out from a mile away, and it's, I think that's part of the reason why Gold Rushes has worked so well because. You know, if if I were scripting the show out, how could Todd Hoffman have gotten 2,000, you know, uh, he got two ounces last year in the jungle.
0: Man. Two ounces is worth how much?
3: Well, you know, $3,000 at the most.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Three grand.
3: Three grand, you know? Yeah. So, if I was scripting it, wouldn't I script a little more gold into it? <laughs> I mean, you got to be kidding me. Yeah, I that's would. That's a great point. I would
8: definitely script more gold.
0: Yes, I would. Yeah, I mean. he made three thousand yeah. dollars. by busting his ass ninety hours a week and yeah, got and malaria. Was, you know, over a hundred degrees. There's
3: <laughs> malaria and mosquitoes. Oh,
0: that's a great story. You're talking about the dirt. It's October seventeenth. The premiere October seventeenth at seven o'clock Central Time. The dirt, and then at eight o'clock Central Time on uh, Discovery. Gold Rush. Fascinating stuff, Christo. Thanks for being with us, and, and come back soon, man.
3: No problem at all. Love talking to you guys. I'm, I'm available at any time. Thank, Thank you. you, sir. Take care.
0: You too. Christo Doyle, executive producer of The Dirt and of Gold Rush. Pretty fascinating guy. Apparently it was lunch hour.
8: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> we
1: really thinking, was it a Jolly Rancher? Is he got a cough drop? Tootsie Roll? I thought he might have had Chew in for a while. <laughs>
8: I can't even imagine those guys up there.
0: Oh, God, no. I cannot Damn. even imagine. I really liked him, though. He was, very, he was an interesting guy. Don't you think? Oh,
8: absolutely. It, well, it, it is a, I mean, that miniseries that we watched was kind of... You know, it was a little bit overproduced and such, but it was... Uh, I had no idea that Klondike. there were that many people <laughs> just Klondike, walking. Yeah. They were walking yeah. and carrying everything they owned over these pat- mountain passes... And they had a very short window to get there before the bad weather would set in. And then, as soon as they pitched a tent, the horrible weather came in. Mm -hmm. It was really a nasty existence.
1: It's about the Gold Rush, the Klondike Gold Rush. Yeah, most of those,
8: a lot of people did die. They didn't even make it through a winter.
1: Yeah, they did. Where's Klondike?
0: The Yukon Territory. The Yukon Territory. It's in the
1: Yukon Territory. Challenge of the Yukon, right? Alaska. Sergeant Preston?
4: No. Yukon is. Canada. Canada, It's yeah. a province of Canada.
8: I thought it was like Alaska, too. Everybody it, thinks
4: It's basically Alaska, but it's not part of the U.S. The Klondike is, I think, part yeah. of Alaska. I think, uh, I think
0: part of think it you is. might be right. What would you do
4: that
8: for we a shouldn't. Klondike
0: bar? <laughs> God. <laughs> Let's see. Klondike. If you're Christo Doyle, you'd eat it while you're doing an interview.
8: Do they still have <laughs> Klondike bars?
4: Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't uh, know. It is just the Yukon. It's the Yukon. Oh, okay. I thought it was part of. Apparently Alaska. not. I think everybody thinks that. Oh, I'm, it is. it does extend into Alaska. I yeah. knew it! So it's I can't, like, why would you even go there?
8: For gold.
4: Paying to make your gold, millions. Andy. Can you
8: imagine in 1889 or whatever, what, a million millions. dollars in gold? What would that be oh, today? God, yes. You'd be a billionaire.
4: There were 100,000 prospectors, 30,000 made it there. And 4,000 found gold. So, yeah.
0: Oh. All in all, it was really worth it. One out of 25 people actually found some gold. Yeah, and that doesn't say a lot of gold, no. just some. Yeah,
8: and they were constantly trying to swindle each other oh, out yeah. of their land deeds and all this stuff. It was, right. yeah.
4: Yikes.
1: No matter how much he might try, Mr. Bloomberg, these clips are not for sale on another episode of the Best of the Tom Bernard Podcast, brought to you, as always, by Bradshaw and Bryant. Great clips this week from Jason Arrington, Aaron Kerman, and Christo Doyle. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we will see you next week.